Hello and welcome to Don't Shoot the Deputies, a podcast run by two deputy heads living on opposite sides of the country. We hope you enjoyed our recent science episode with Beth Budden. If you haven't caught up with it yet, we really recommend that you do. It's part of a series of episodes we've been producing linked to curriculum and we've got more subject specific episodes planned for the future. Yes, I'm thinking back to where this focus on curriculum started, Russell. We did a couple of episodes about curriculum design last year, which included the episode with Claire Seeley, and that has been so popular with our listeners. But now, with that little bit further down the line, we're interested in looking at how the impact of such a curriculum can be gauged by leaders in school. That's right, and I found someone who can help us to do that, Steve. Nick Hart is our guest today. Like many of our wonderful guests, we connected on Twitter. Nick is head teacher at Courthouse Junior School in Maidenhead, and having led the school from requires improvement to good under the new Ofsted framework, Nick has a good view of school improvement, but also curriculum development. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. Thank you very much. Thanks, Nick. We noticed from your Twitter page, your blog and your school's website that you are clearly really passionate about curriculum. And this has been a big part of your work at Courthouse. Can you tell us a bit about your career to date and why the curriculum has become a key element of your leadership journey? Yeah, so I've been, I've been a head teacher now for three and a half years in two fairly different schools. First one in quite a large mat uh, and second now in a local authority. One school was one form entry, my school now is three form junior. Uh, So it's quite quite different but one thing they both had in common was both being on a bit of a downward trend and my experiences at schools in that position are in that position because they don't have established systems, policies, practices, that kind of thing and and nothing as noticeable as lacking a curriculum. Uh, and in, in both schools that I've led as a head, that's been that's been the issue, a lack, a lack of curriculum. But it's only recently that I've kind of jumped on that bandwagon, really. I mean, if I think back to the first leadership position was a, a maths leader, teaching your six at a time and taking over teaching of maths. It was all about pedagogy at that time. It was all about how, how you taught and, and not so much about what I remember reading a lot of John Hattie and Dan Willingham and uh, the EEF toolkit and kept read everything on a Saturday morning that Joe Kirby would publish when he was at, uh, I think he still is at Michaela as a deputy head. And then David Didow uh, soaked up all that stuff. And that led me down finding more about desirable difficulties. So then I became a bit obsessed with the maths curriculum and try, trying to get the perfect amount of spacing between subjects in, in maths. I spent hours, hours on it. It was, <laughs> it was a bit of an obsession, really. And then from there, that, that, that then triggered me thinking, okay, I should probably think more about what we're teaching and how it's sequenced, rather than just trying to teach whatever effectively. Mm, thanks for that background about your journey there, Nick. Now, we don't want this whole conversation to be about Ofsted, but you did manage to take the school from requires improvement to good. I'm someone who's leading in a school where we're RI at the moment and we're awaiting inspection. So I'm curious about two things, really. First of all, can you tell me about how you prepared the school for your inspection? And then could you please give us an insight into kind of the new inspection framework and deep dives in particular? Because I know our listeners are going to be really interested in what they look like and how they can best prepare for those. Yeah, Okay. Um, first of all, taking over an RI school I, I mean I had a really really great piece of timing in, in the months before taking up the the headship where I am now I saw Christine Council speak she started writing lots about strategic curriculum leadership and that was that was inspiring that's brilliant and then at the same sort of time the offset research about curriculum was was published too so they they had their different 
phases of research that got published in, in advance of the inspection framework that was changing. Uh, and there's a kind of perfect storm of being inspired by Christine Council and then learning lots about curriculum development from the research that was being published and starting as a head of a school uh, that requires improvement that had an urgent timeline. The, the inspection was imminent. It was any, any day. And then on top of that, the fact that the school I joined didn't have a curriculum is a pretty much a blank slate. It could just do literally anything that I thought would be useful because lots of curriculum overviews and things didn't exist. It was, it was a perfect storm of being really interested, knowing lots and having the opportunity and the urgency to do it. So that, that was uh, really grateful for that opportunity and that, that coming together of, of conditions because that's really what's kicked, kicked everything on. In terms of preparing, I mean, fr from the outset of starting uh, starting quarter, I also knew that there was an inspection on, on the cards and it was between the two frameworks. So uh, there was, I think there was a, a year to go in the old framework and then the new framework would come in from September. And the way I approached it, I, I really liked what Ofsted was saying in, in the research stuff. It, it, it fit with what I'd come to, to think myself from, from wider reading. And so, I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say that I did any of the stuff specifically for a reinspection. Mm. Uh, it was because I thought it was the right thing to do anyway. Uh, it, it was the robust thing to do with curriculum design anyway. I think preparing for that, we made some decisions about what, what was needed. So when there's, when there's no curriculum overviews and there's no medium term plans, you just have to write them. You have to get something there. So we, a couple of us wrote all the overviews for every subject because mm. uh, some didn't exist we kept some things that that were useful and, and uh, relevant and uh, and started afresh with lots of other things we had emma leonard from west london free school she's brilliant she came in on the on a consultancy basis to help us write some of the units as well so we literally spent with with a, a core group of people that first six eight months writing 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 curriculum overviews media term plans and we made the decision to, to to provide that for teachers i mean one of the one of my biggest bugbears really is give, giving teachers a broad topic area for for something and then asking them to design a sequence of lessons for it I, mm. I used to have to do that I've got friends uh, colleagues that still have to do that I think it's such a inefficient way of mm. children getting the, the, get the best curriculum experiences because without someone driving it that any coherence that may have been there in the first place gets completely shattered when people go off in different directions and mm. I mean, teachers aren't necessarily good curriculum designers anyway. So asking them to do such a thing without sufficient training isn't, isn't right, in my opinion. So we, we provided it all. We provided medium-term plans for uh, teachers and even to some extent some uh, skeleton slides for them so that they could spend their time knowing the content and teaching the content rather than, can I name any uh, brands here? <laughs> Maybe we can cut it out. <laughs> twinkle everywhere yeah. Uh, yeah and and test resources and stuff like that like, well those so things was, often fill the gap nick don't they when people they do. feel they're, they're up against it and they're tired and they're, they're, they're being expected yeah. as you you explained so well there to 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 do too much and it took a while it took a while to get people out of the habit of overmarking books so i mm. went in really early and, and did this bit on uh, on feedback and, and just because you write something in a book doesn't mean that a child's going to a know what you want them to do or b even do it mm. and and even even months down it's still i still find people marking at the end of the day quite late so stop stop it stop doing that 
Um, <laughs> because your your time, you read the work, but your time is better spent thinking about what's happening next rather than writing the same thing in thirty books. Mm. Um, so there, there was a lot of shifting of uh, of time spent that I was trying to put across uh, on onto things that are going to help you in front of the children and not spend your evenings doing things that are aren't worth it. Mm, no, it sounds great. So coming back to that idea of a deep dive then, Nick, what, what's that like? And I think I, I would really like to take away the mystery around that that freaks people out because the phrase itself is, has become... Yeah. Scares it just sounds so intense, doesn't it? Do you know what, as, as, a, as a head on the day, it's the least involved I've ever been in an inspection. Right. And there were, t- there were times uh, uh, on, the, on, the t- on the two days where I was literally waiting for the next thing to happen rather than rather than actively do anything because I think what what worked really well for us is that a we had some and we still have some fantastic leaders that really really know their subjects inside out and I think that's the key uh, that's the preparation that we did we made sure that everyone who's leading a subject knew the curriculum overviews inside out they knew why certain things were put in certain places what they build upon where they go to and I think that alongside having a clear idea of our strategies for let's say English reading English writing maths that, that they really they really know those inside out themselves they're really good teachers and I, I think that's something that is a little bit different to, to maybe what I've done in the past and what others may may do is forget action plans for middle leaders and subject leaders they just need to know their subject really well know the curriculum decisions really well and then any question they get asked by an inspector is fine because they know it well. That sounds like really good advice. There was something I just wanted to ask about that in terms of you say that's how we prepared is making sure people knew that stuff. And mm-hmm. I can see how that was really important because you and a relatively small team were the people behind a lot of the overviews. And that's actually really similar to what I've had in the last year where myself and, and a colleague assistant head have written most of the overviews. So that challenge mm-hmm. now of making sure that all the leaders know the why and and the mm. thinking that went into that what did you practically do so that people got to that point where they did feel really sure we were inspected in the the first of october uh, so it was a month into the into the new term and the reading leader was not new to the school but new to the post in september the writing leader was new to school in september the maths leader was not new to the school but new to new to the leadership role i didn't have a a deputy head. Uh, I had year leaders who all stepped up and uh, supported the subject leaders really, really well. Asenko, who had been with us on a part-time basis for um, a term and was only starting with us full-time recently. And on paper, it shouldn't have worked. It shouldn't have, with, with an inexperienced group of leaders who had taken up the roles only recently, it shouldn't, it shouldn't have worked. But I, I think it was purely down to the number of conversations about the, the key points, the number of conversations about the curriculum for each subject, about what order should we teach the history units across the key stage? Why should we put some of the, let's say, some of the year three national curriculum content in maths into year four? And it, for us, it was because we're a junior school and there's a junior school dip. And the fewer, if we have fewer things in year three, then it's far more likely they're going to master them and then we can pick up some trickier topics later all those kind of conversations like that were just we we talked about it all the time 
was that within uh, as a whole staff or was that a lot of one-to-one conversations with these leaders uh, some whole staff uh, a lot of one-to-one conversations and that was really the i think it's the one-to-one conversations that were really useful because if you've got a group of different subjects the, the more you think that something is applicable to everything then it's probably less likely that it actually is mm. um and so yeah there were some generic messages about curriculum leadership which we started the year off but actually the more as time went on they became more subject specific conversations because that's the important bit is a subject specific part okay so dick listening to that i was just thinking about how i work with a curriculum lead on developing our own curriculum and one thing we can say is that it takes a long time to develop and then to implement it takes even more time. Yes. We'll talk about impacts in a moment, but looking back over your journey at Courthouse, do you have any tips for our listeners about effective implementation? It was our main focus. It was all we talked about. So like, in the past, we may have spoken a lot about pedagogy and we talked a lot about Rosenstein's principles of instruction and, and stuff like that. And that only go, I think that only gets you so far. You, you have to bit work with actual content and so all, a lot a lot of conversations a lot of training sessions were about getting back to the national curriculum and looking at what exactly needs to be taught the the coherence the the key concepts the disciplinary knowledge as well as the substantive knowledge and making sure that teachers and leaders are becoming experts in that at the, the the leadership capacity is 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 a crucial issue i mean in in the beginning i was literally writing plans all evening every evening and then leaning on Emma, an external consultant, to, to help get certain things done. And, and we, we prioritise certain subjects, and that's important. You have to, I, I think, I think what, one of our successes was picking one to be a flagship. So we picked history as a flagship kind of subject and did that together with a couple of people and made sure that was exactly uh, how we wanted every subject and every kind of unit of work to be. Mm. Uh, and then that then became a model to, to use for, for others so we worked on the history one everyone was teaching history in that first term and, and then anyone who was involved later in future planning had experience of teaching that unit and so they knew kind of what was what was needed when we started looking at geography units and science units and dt units and art units and things like that were you able to direct when it came to your deep dives in your inspection around some of those subjects that you knew were doing particularly well or do you not have that level of flexibility yeah. No, you do. You do. Um, so, uh, in the phone call with the uh, lead inspector on the day before, that that's a really good conversation, and my experience of that was great because it gave me a chance to to tell the story of all the stuff we've done, to to say which subjects we've made a lot of progress with, but also to say which subjects we uh, we haven't done as well. And uh, so, as so I very honestly said, that computing. Uh, was was one that we hadn't really invested a lot of time in and you can imagine what one of the deep dives was about the the next day so (laughs) (laughs) very much we had it was a conversation about agreeing the the areas of those deep dives and it's really important for leaders then to to know which subjects are going really well in school which subjects you spent the most time on and to direct attention to those because you want to sell the school in, in in its best light I think going back to that tips question, I think using external expertise is invaluable. Without that, we'd have struggled. We used Emma for humanities. We used a local artist to help with our art curriculum, which was brilliant because it made it uh, specific to our school because we used local artists, uh, local artworks, local, local museums and galleries. The, the, the use of an external eye in various subjects is really, really useful. 
That's some really sound advice there. Thanks, Nick. So let's talk about impact now, Nick. I feel like I'm at a stage in my school where we have a pretty solid curriculum. Yes, it needs a few tweaks and that's ongoing, isn't it? But how do I and the subject leaders in my school most effectively gauge, but also demonstrate the impact that our curriculum is having? This is one of my my favourite things at the moment. Phil Stock wrote a blog post a little while ago about uh, responses to professional learning. And it was that then made me think about ways to think about the impact that leaders have so obviously it goes without saying that that the ultimate impact that we have is the outcomes of children but um we can't we can't directly affect those things a head teacher or school leaders can't directly affect outcomes of children because they're taught by 10 15 other other people uh, and so we ha- we have to have impact in other areas in order to get to get that and and one one area that we would need to think about is is climate. If children are enjoying themselves, if teachers are enjoying themselves, they're satisfied with their jobs, and they're not burnt out, then that is going to contribute heavily to, to outcomes for children. If, if if the climate for teachers and the climate for children is right, that affects outcomes for children. So we we can definitely have an impact on that. It, but in order for that to happen, there needs to be systems. There needs to be processes in place that everybody does, so that it's not just the class at the end of the corridor with the most experienced teacher that's getting the best deal. It's every, every child getting the best deal. So if, if systems are in place that weren't there before, that's an impact of school leadership. But you can't, have, you can't have systems in place without influencing the individual behaviours of people. So before you see an impact in system development, you have to then slowly, person by person, change or improve what people do. But then none of that can happen unless unless teachers know more you have to uh, that and that's the starting point the, the starting point for impact of leaders work is making sure that the staff know more than they did before and and that's where that's where we need to start we need to accept that pupil outcomes is the ultimate goal and that before that there are many steps so an impact of you, you i mean leaders will know that the curriculum is going well if teachers have much better subject knowledge than they did before they know what they're teaching why what it builds on in previous years and topics, what it uh, contributes to in the future, that, that's an impact of school leadership because it's a result of professional learning. It's a result of the clarity of your curriculum. When teachers know more, they might be able to, to, to do something better. And that, that possibly where, where we can get the, the pedagogical approach in, where teachers might be using more evidence-based approaches to learning. And th- those two combined, what they know and what they do, if, if that over time that becomes systematic so a good example of that was from from us is that reading wasn't explicitly taught when i started within a few months we had a a system of whole class reading which didn't exist before that everybody does and that that is certainly is an, an impact of school leadership it it would take it takes a while then to turn into results for children but that it's a necessary step along the way we've had good feedback from staff about the workload implications of having medium-term plans provided, which means they can then spend longer on getting to know the content or, or spend their time better on getting to know the content rather than things that don't actually make any difference to children. And then, of course, you've got the ultimate outcome, like children know more, do they remember more, do they understand more, can they do more? But that's not just academic. I mean, the outcomes for children can be measured in their participation in additional clubs or their interest in other areas if a child is interested in the ancient greeks as a result of your brilliantly planned curriculum that's not going to show up on 
a reading test at the end of year six, but it is a, a significant impact on a child because it may then trigger something in the future that is a, maybe a career for that child. Mm. And then there's a social emotional aspect of school as well. I mean, if the curriculum is really well planned, children are enjoying school. They'll, they'll enjoy school. They'll enjoy their lessons. They'll, they'll find them interesting and stimulating. And, and then pastoral things may improve. Behaviour could improve as a result, and it did for us. Behaviour settled down completely from, from a time when there was, there was no head for nine months. Uh, and attendance as well. I mean, children come to school when they're happy. So there's, there's lots of ways of judging the, the impact that we've had in terms of curriculum leadership. But the problem is, it's, a, it's, such, a, it's such a wicked problem. I think Ben White calls them wicked problems about school leadership, but they're essentially unsolvable because they're so complex. I mean, mm. you, you do one thing and it affects several other things. Mm. Um, but that, and that's why it's, it's useful to, for leaders to, to break down what it is that they're doing and, and what difference it's making in, the, in those realms, because then it's a, a lot easier to see, a lot easier to plan for, because it can take some time for things like results to filter through based on all this work. It could take years. Yeah, and you're often, when you're talking about evidence of impact, you're often looking at like indicators, aren't you, rather than one piece of solid and complete evidence, you know, so yeah. something simple like pupil voice is, is fascinating, you know, when I contrast yeah. the conversations children used to have with me about, I don't know, science or history or DT or something compared to now the curriculums in place and how much yeah. more articulate they are, I think that's a really straightforward indicator, isn't it? So Definitely. do you build things into your cycle, those opportunities to talk to children and so on to capture that? Yeah, I mean, uh, What's interesting is, even though we were RI at the time, it can be tempting for schools to go like deep into paperwork and have evidence in mm. on bits of paper and files and things like that. But actually, it was all in the leaders' heads. They knew what children thought of the curriculum in their area because they'd spoken to them a lot. They knew what their colleagues thought of the subject and what their needs were because they spoke to them. It wasn't about writing it down on a bit of paper and shoving it under an inspector's nose because... That doesn't really mean anything. Leaders need to live it, to know it, and to be able to talk about it rather than pull out a bit of paper with something written on it. I'm so glad you said that because I, I feel that way, but I know that's a really scary shift for a lot of leaders that particularly under that framework, it was about have your wadge of paper with every pupil group's data and that's what you you latched onto in the hope that you could demonstrate. So it's a very different way of working that will appeal to many, I think, and terrify others. Yeah. Um, Matthew Evans said this uh, recently that leaders should be students of their school. If whatever you're leading, you need to know how that subject manifests across the school in each classroom. What is maths like in all the year four classes? Is there a slight difference? Is there a difference in teacher confidence in that? Are there differences in how children feel about maths in, in those different classes? And, and if we know those things, we, we can do more about it and so it's really important for leaders to be regularly out about talking to people looking at books talking to children because mm. waiting for your one quality assurance window or your lesson observation round provides such a false mm. reality of uh, of what's going on it's just a snapshot regular chats regular checking in on a variety of ways of finding information is is far more beneficial to building that mental model of what's going on in your subject Mm, good advice there, Nick. So one last bit I wanted to explore with regards to impact is something I saw you tweet about recently. It's this idea that the success of a school's curriculum is about how successfully the most disadvantaged children engage with it. Can you tell us a bit more about that idea? 
I don't know where this came from, but I mean, there there are some children that are going to achieve anyway because Mm. of life chances, circumstances, that kind of thing. And in terms of curriculum design, it has to be designed with the most vulnerable children in mind. If it doesn't support those children, then it's not doing its job. So building in lots of repetition, building in links where they make sense are, are, are crucial. For example, we, in our key stage overview, there's a temptation to kind of block things together. So for example, when year three do ancient Egypt, then you also do Egyptian art at the same time. But blocking that together probably means that they're never going to encounter anything Egyptian ever again. So if we do ancient Egypt history in say year three, but then do Egyptian art in year four, then that provides an opportunity to remember, to make links and to, uh, to, to develop a, a wider understanding rather than doing it all in one go. That's really interesting. And again, we, so for ex- another example is children in year five read Letters from the Lighthouse, set in wartime, but then in year, the first term of year six, they do a, a Battle of Britain unit of work. So having read that book at the end of year five gives them a little bit of background knowledge to then help them understand the historical unit of the Battle of Britain. And that's done on purpose so that the most disadvantaged children interact with content more um, and if they've missed something the first time around it might come around uh, another time it's it has to be it has to be designed around the most disadvantaged children because anything other is morally wrong i think that's a perfect place to end what has been a really interesting <laughs> conversation with you nick and Absolutely. i found myself nodding a lot because i really do agree with where you come from and i admire the clarity with which you seem to approach leadership I mean, before we came on, Nick was explaining how we, we get that clarity through the different leadership positions we take over time. But it's been great having some of your time, Nick, and thank you for a really interesting conversation. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Don't keep the deputies.